Support for MindShift comes from Landmark College, offering a fully online graduate-level certificate in learning differences and neurodiversity programs. Visit landmark.edu certificate to learn more. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. I just wanted you all to know that today and tomorrow in the yearbook room, sibling pictures will be taken. Hello, you're listening to MindShift, the podcast from KQED about the future of learning and what it means for our kids. I'm Katrina Schwartz. And I'm Ki Sung. Today, Katrina has a story about two teachers at Windsor High School in Sonoma County, California, who are pushing the limits of traditional schooling. I'm Marika Neto, and I am a teacher here at Windsor High School. My name is Catlin Tucker, and I've been teaching this my 15th year and my 14th year at Windsor High School. Catlin Tucker and Marika Neto are fed up with traditional high school. They're especially tired of the limited role students typically play when it comes to evaluating their own learning. They say if the aim is to help students become lifelong learners, then teachers need to stop telling them how to do well all the time. So they took a hard look at how they could change their teaching to force students to do something many people find difficult, self-assess. It's been uncomfortable for students and their parents and even for the teachers at times. It's hard to step outside a really clear system, like the one that has determined academic achievement for decades, to try something radically different. But that's what these teachers are trying to do. And they're doing it within a big, typical public high school. Okay, so imagine two basic classrooms connected by what was probably an office at some point. It's about six feet across, and they call it their makerspace. All right, guys, make sure you're transitioning into the space that makes the most sense for you, given what you have to do. Tucker and Neto, as the students call them, are in charge of a mixed group of freshmen and sophomores, 60 kids in all. Students move fluidly back and forth between the two rooms. They call the program New School. Okay, this is really frustrating. How am I supposed to do this really impromptu little thing without a good pen? Tucker and Neto co-teach English, science, and technology through projects every other day. On the days they're not with Tucker and Neto, students have more traditional classes. They do the usual high school thing of rotating between classes. You guys, 
is, there is an uh, article that you need to be working on on Vigo. Please go ahead and get started. On the days when students are with Tucker and Neto, they're working on big unit projects that tie together what they're learning in science, English, and technology. Let's say I'm arguing that um, Tybalt has like anger management issues. Students are writing papers analyzing how the behavior of characters in Romeo and Juliet could be evidence of mental health disorders. Tucker's giving an example. And then I reveal like some aspect of the play where, you know, when he's like, I hate the word peace, <laughs> like whatever. So the aim is for students to be motivated by their own interests. So teachers are letting them pick their own projects. Students are researching and designing solutions to real environmental problems like contaminated groundwater or plastic waste. Some of them were like, oh my gosh, you want us to solve like a problem nobody else has solved. Like, what are you asking of us? One student, Samantha, is trying to come up with a new type of renewable energy that could be generated in cities where the demand is high. I'm thinking of having a bunch of turbines that could be underneath the little sewer grates. So as the water comes down, it turns the turbines, and then these are connected to a generator, which could generate electricity. Because students aren't all working on the same thing at any given time, Tucker and Neto are floating around the classroom, checking in here and there. That's especially important since kids are often working independently on their computers. It looks like maybe you're off task. A little? I might have been off task. Just, just a little bit? Okay. <laughs> Way to own that. Yes. Tucker wants her students to reflect on how they can improve at every step along the way. So when she coaches writing, she often hops directly into student documents to give feedback as they write. Okay, I'm going to want to, I'm going to go into suggesting mode because we definitely want to capitalize Americans. This is my job. You're, you're killing me. And because the structure's often free-flowing, students have to learn to manage their own time. Okay, you do not have to look up, but you two are super cute, sitting side by side at this table, taking a picture. Another big difference from other high school classes, Tucker and Neto don't assign homework. But kids often keep working on stuff they don't get done in class. I'm editing her narrative so that she'll be able to publish it. Students are responsible for showing what they've learned, but they can't just follow a checklist. They have to stop and think about whether they're doing their best work. I was working on my blog, and right now I want to, I kind of feel like doing a little bit of coding. And in the midst of all the controlled chaos, sometimes a bunch of students struggle with the same skill. So Tucker might jump in with a mini lesson. She's not subtle about it. Okay, so I have some substantial concerns about your essay, and I want to address those now. Remember, for your intro, you are starting with a hook strategy, right? So that's question... Students love that science has become much more hands-on. They're used to turning the pages of a textbook and memorizing terms. But in this new setting, many kids say they are finally learning by doing. And that has them engaged in ways they're not used to. The bottom and the top of the broom, they represent different parts of the uh, neurons in your brain. And we're going to take the penny and we're going to show where it goes for someone that has anxiety. And that's what we're trying to figure out right now. If this all sounds pretty different from what school was like for you, you're right, it is different. Not very many public high schools are teaching this way. Sure, some are doing projects, but far fewer have this level of integration between subjects. They have assignments, but they have a lot of autonomy and a lot of freedom about how they complete them and when they complete them. The mixed-age classroom? That's not common high school practice. By the way, we don't, we're not assigning homework. And by the way, we don't have an online gradebook. We threw out our gradebook. 
The list goes on. But that last bit about grading is crucial because that, more than anything, represents a core philosophy underlying everything these two teachers are trying to do. They don't want students to passively wait to be evaluated. No, no, no. They're trying to get kids to build the skills to evaluate themselves, to decide for themselves when they've done their best work. That's a skill set that will resurface in college and work. After all, we are all evaluated by someone. Coming up after the break, we dive into the surprising grading system Tucker and Neto devised to force students to think about what they learned and how they know they learned it. Stay with us. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfatah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. When students start high school, they've already been through eight years of conditioning. Often that means they've learned that the teacher's word is law and their job as students is to do what they're told. Progress is measured with quizzes and tests. So when Tucker and Neto flipped all that on its head, students like Josh Wagner were a little freaked out. It took me a while to adjust to that. The grading was definitely outside their comfort zone, for sure. As much as Tucker wants to shake things up, Windsor High is still a pretty average public school. Teachers have to submit progress reports every six weeks. But instead of using grades as a way to rubber stamp student work, Tucker and Neto are using the process as a way to push kids to reflect on their strengths and their weaknesses and who they are as learners. First time I did a grading interview, I was like so nervous. I'm like, oh my gosh. This is Josh again. Okay, put yourself in his shoes for a minute. For nine years, you've tried to do your assignments exactly as your teacher wanted them. Half the time, you're just hoping you're interpreting the instructions correctly. Now, your sophomore English grade, which matters a lot to colleges, will be decided in large part by how accurately you can describe your progress in a grading interview with Tucker. Self-awareness is key, and being honest with yourself, so you don't overstate or understate how far you've come. After all, these teachers know you. Today, I asked you to reflect on two specific standards in relation to your writing on the research paper, right? That mm -hmm. informative writing standard and then the research standard. Sounds serious, right? Talk me through where you felt like you are, what are you struggling with, what goals have you set for yourself as a writer? Uh, well, I think one thing I'm definitely struggling with is the research aspect of 
this project and like pulling everything together and making sure it's from the right source, being like... They're both looking at a Google document that lists every assignment with columns next to it where Josh has written how well he thinks he's met the standard and has given himself a grade from zero to four. There are also columns for Tucker to write what she's seeing and to give a number. So the first six weeks, how did you feel like you were doing getting into this document and thinking about the work you were working on in your three classes? That was obviously one heaping disaster. Josh made a mistake several students described, a sort of holdover from their previous experiences in school. He wasn't assessing himself if he saw that Tucker had already given him feedback. He thought her input was all that mattered, which is probably true in a more traditional class. But in here, he's not getting off that easy. And remember, I go through and I say, oh, I think, you know, Josh is a two out of four on this. And you're like, what? I feel like my work is stronger than that. Then on your side, you can link to evidence and say, you know, what? I actually think I'm a three and this is why. And if you have there's this constant silent back and forth happening between students and teachers on the Google document all semester. When it's time for a progress report, there's a track record of all those revisions and reflections that Josh can use to propose the grade he thinks he deserves. He also has to provide work samples to back up his claim. If their grade is wildly different from my grade, then I counter. This might seem a lot easier for students, but it actually requires a lot from them. They can't just sit back and take whatever grade they get. Those conversations were like some of the scariest things we asked them to do because they're not asked to think about their learning that way and articulate where they're at in their learning and what they think their grade should be. And it's harder for students to blame bad grades on someone else because they have all these opportunities to go back in and revise work, and get help and improve. All of this is really new to students, but Josh says new in a good way. It's definitely overwhelming trying to go back and fix it all. But in the long run, it's better than a class where you're like, oh, if it's missing, it's missing. You don't get to make it up. Like, I'm glad I have that opportunity to fix it in the first place. It's a lot of change all at once. Early on, Tucker and Netta wondered if they'd pushed it too far. There's pushback from students, too. Like, wait a second. You're supposed to give me this information. Like, why do I have to do all this work? Scott McLaughlin is a sophomore who probably falls into that camp. He's stuck with the program all year, but says he misses being told exactly how to do well. I'm really used to structure. It's always worked for me, so I guess I'm kind of the odd man out. <laughs> Scott can see that many of his peers are thriving in the program, and he was quick to point that out. But he's just not sure it's for everyone. It's really hard to get used to. Tucker understands how students like Scott feel, but she says so far we've acted as though the traditional model should work for everyone, when it clearly doesn't. She wanted to try something different, something that might reach the kids who don't usually like school much. So the early pushback from students was especially hard. I just thought, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> this is not going as smoothly as I thought. A few students left the program early on, and others were just on the brink. It was especially hard for freshmen, like Natalie Lovano. She was already making a big, scary transition to high school. And on top of that, new school was just so different. What made you feel like, okay, I don't think this program is going to work for me? Okay, well, in middle school, it was more like you sit down, they teach you, you memorize everything, you do your work, and that's it, and then you're out. Um, but here it was more, I wouldn't say self-taught, but it was... As a student, you had to buckle down yourself if you really wanted to get it done. She had figured out how to play the game of school and wasn't sure she wanted to risk academic failure in this new program. 
my parents didn't go to college and they realized what like a big impact that was. So they really expect a lot from us. Getting into college means earning good grades. So when Natalie was struggling to adjust to all the independence of the new program and the expectations to self-evaluate, her dad got nervous. He just wasn't used to it because my sisters were AP honors so that he was used to like, if you don't, if you miss one assignment, you're already behind. Natalie's dad was stuck between wanting to keep an open mind about a style of learning his daughter seemed to like and his experiences with how punitive the system can be. I explained to him that it wasn't like that, that we got to sit down and talk about our grades and that just if I didn't do the best one progress report, that didn't mean that like my entire grade was going to drop. So once he understood that, he was a lot more calm about it. I talked to several parents about the program, and many of them were delighted that their kids seemed to finally be enjoying school. Some of them said they were connecting with their teens in new ways, and that it was amazing to see them fired up about learning. But the pressures of the current education system weren't far from their minds. Carrie Carsonson's daughter, Jewel, is a freshman in the program. She was struggling at the beginning, and I thought, how is this going to look on a report card? Are her grades going to go down because this is something completely different and new and challenging? Jewel loves the program, but Carrie can't help worrying about what colleges will see. They're looking at a letter grade versus how much a student actually knows. Parent concerns point to a basic disconnect. What we say we want out of an education, independent thinkers, good communicators, collaborators, those things aren't what we currently reward. Tucker and Neto knew they were asking students and their families to take a leap of faith by joining this program. And they weren't sure who would be brave enough to try something so different from the accepted way of doing things. But all kinds of kids were ready to join them in the adventure. It's not just the honors kids, it's everybody. It's kids who have just been mainstreamed, the English is not their first language, it's kids on the autistic spectrum, it's kids who have learning plans, it's ADHD, it's ADD, I mean, it's everybody. Tucker and Neto were pretty sure kids who had struggled in traditional school would like something different. But what about the kids who excelled at academics? Hi, my name is Samantha Moberly, and I'm a 10th grader. This is the same girl who was designing the water turbine. When I talked with Sam about whether she feels challenged, she had a really interesting answer. I have experience in some of my classes um, in past years. Sometimes I would do an assignment and I was like, I wasn't super excited about it, but I would still get an A. And here now, I'm actually working to get to the point where I'm really satisfied with my work. And because I'm grading myself, I'm not just stopping at a point where I know I would get a certain grade. I'm just going until I'm satisfied. Samantha's the kind of student who likes doing homework. She'd probably do well anywhere. But she said there's an expansiveness to learning in new school that doesn't exist when she's just trying to meet requirements. Setting her own agenda and her internal barometer for success means Samantha's pushing herself to do much more advanced work than the average sophomore. Sometimes so advanced, it even surprises Tucker and Neto. They often don't have the answers or the materials. And that didn't stop them. And it was like a matter of, well, how are you going to get creative with this? The issue comes up a lot for Marika Neto, the science half of this duo. She often has students design their own experiments and then has to deal with the consequences. So they're like, Neto, we need to... Yeah, find BPA. I'm like, uh, okay. But these are also the moments that make all the hard work of getting this program off the ground worthwhile. As we raise the bar, they're just kind of like asking for more, you know, and that's a really, and that's special. Um, 
I feel that's a huge difference in what I've seen in the traditional setting. But there's still this lingering question about whether this is really better. How will we know if kids are getting prepared for college? Tucker thinks about that too. I worry sometimes, am I giving them enough? Are we getting through enough? You know, when you start to narrow the scope and you're not trying to cover as much, but you're trying to go deeper, I am aware that there are certain things that I don't hit as hard as I used to. And I worry, am, am I preparing them for everything they need? That may be the eternal question of teachers everywhere. Tucker is just hoping that she has empowered her students to find the answers to their own questions, to have confidence in who they are as learners, and to constantly reflect on their own work. After this year of risk and experimentation, she's more clear than ever that those qualities are essential for building anything, including a successful school program. And Tucker finds comfort in what she sees in the classroom every day. It's the kids who pull you over to say, Tucker, Tucker, look at what I'm doing, look at what I'm doing. It's, it's that excitement, that curiosity, that like, that joy of being in the classroom and working on what we're working on, that for me is the success. That's what I want to see. It's not the grades, it's, it's that, that energy. What teacher doesn't want that? Thanks for listening to the MindShift podcast from KQED. MindShift is all about exploring how we can improve teaching and learning. You can learn a lot more on our website, kqed.org slash MindShift. MindShift is produced by me, Ki Sung, and Katrina Schwartz. Our editor is Jacob Conrad, and Seth Samuel is our audio specialist. Thanks also to Paul Lancour, Julia McAvoy, Olivia Ellen Price, Vinnie Tong, and Devin Karayama. Our executive producers are Holly Kernan and Ethan Lindsay. I also want to specially thank Catlin Tucker, Marika Neto, and all the students and parents in New School. And please, please leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It's easy to do and it helps us a lot. Thanks for listening. Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.